0: Hello everyone. Welcome to the betting life podcast brought to you by fantasy life. I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt F the Oracle. It is Tuesday. Week six is in the books. Week seven is waiting to be written. So it is time to take stock of what we've seen so far and think about what it means moving forward in this bigger picture episode and joining us as someone, uh, I have a ton of respect for someone whom I think balances sports betting and content as well as anyone else in the industry. And that's right. I used the word whom earlier, not, not to brag, just, I, I feel like I, I like 90% chance I use it correctly. Uh, and then someone who, uh, though Canadian is somehow a self-loathing fan of my Dallas Cowboys. And, uh, you know, actually uh, Rob Pizzola, I'm talking about Rob Pizzola. Rob, I don't know if you are actually a self-loathing Cowboys fan. I know you are a Cowboys fan. I'm not sure about the self-loathing part. And if you do loathe, yourself. I don't know if it's because of the Cowboys fandom or if it's something else. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's good to see you. I've got more in the introduction. I'll get through the introduction. Rob is the CEO of the Hammer Betting Network. By the way, you can find each week some of the favorite bets from the Hammer crew in our free bet tracker at Fantasy Life. And I'm also happy to be a regular guest on the Friday Forward Progress show at the Hammer where we talk about our favorite props. Rob is also a co-owner of Best Stamp and co-host of the Circles Off podcast, which is one of I, mean, I feel like I say this to every guest, but I am uh, a maniacal podcast listener, uh, and I listen at three x speed. So it is possible for me to cram all of that audio goodness. Circles Off Podcast actually is one of my favorite shows, uh, and I, I listen to it every time you guys put it out. Rob, how's it going, man?
1: Well first of all it's it's going really well. I appreciate the intro and the kind words about Circles off. It's going well cuz the Cowboys actually won the Monday Night Football game in stressful fashion but they did it. And yes, I am a self-loathing Cowboys fan. Uh, I grew up as a Dallas Cowboys fan because my father actually hated the Cowboys when I was growing up. So this is I'm born in the mid 80s, early 90s, mid 90s. Cowboys were the best team. My dad hated them. I'm like I'm going to be a Cowboys fan and I thought that was great at the time. And the last you know, 20 plus years have just been absolute misery for me. I often question, what if I just picked a more local team uh, to enjoy like the Buffalo Bills? Probably would have been in the same situation. There's just not too many fan bases that have had uh, extended runs over the last 20 years. But certainly a self-loathing Cowboys fan
0: that is a great, uh, origination story of a fandom. Uh, the, you know, the cosmic joke is on you for how it all played out, but, uh, excellent, excellent beginning. I mean, uh, hatred is as pure of a motivation as as almost any other motivation you can find. Uh, all right. So we're going to talk about the, about the Cowboys. Um, you know, lots of, lots of things we could talk about there. First, I want to talk about a little bit of like, you know, your journey or you know, the hammer, and not to get too inside baseball, but you know, whatever. Uh, I feel like in the content space, uh, I guess, especially the, the sports media betting space, there are content creators and then there are professional sports betters. And five to six years ago, there wasn't really much overlap between the two. I mean, there were some people who would try to do it, but now there are way many more people I think who try to do it. Um, but I think there's still a fundamental problem with a lot of sports betting content. So a lot of the people who start out as content creators, and I'm in that group started in fantasy, you know, shifted a little bit into props now much more on the sports betting side. A lot of people who start in that way, aren't great sports betters and, uh, they don't give good sports betting guidance or analysis. And Hey, based on full disclosure, based on how my season has gone so far, you could probably put me in that group In that group, even though I'm positive throughout my betting career, just, you know, maybe the lucky recreational better who hasn't gone broke yet. And then on the other side of the content creators, you still have the professional sports betters who actually are sustainably profitable, but most of their content sucks. Uh, because they're not content professionals and they're worried about saying too much because they don't want to give away an edge, or maybe they're just, you know, worried about the presentation, whatever it is. Uh now I believe you started out as a content creator and you've evolved into someone who also bets profitably and professionally. Uh, and then now you have started the hammer, uh, which creates or which features mainly professional betters, but the goal of the company is to have content. Uh, that is of a high quality and that your general sports fan would be interested in and and sports better would be interested in. So kind of with all of that as a preamble, what are your
1: thoughts on the betting media space right now? Um, I don't think very highly of it. And that's part of the reason that we started the hammer. So the hammer was born of um, a conversation that happened with the founders of Betstamp and myself where we basically consume a lot of sports betting content. And we're like, you know, we just don't think that the stuff out there is very good. Um, there's sort of like a, a a tried, tested and true formula that everyone seems to to use nowadays and obviously pick centric types of shows. But ultimately, what it comes down to is I think that there's a lack of authenticity in the space where you do have a lot of recreational content creators um, who pass themselves off as something that they are not and that's something that i've always had a problem with so i wanted to build a network um, of content creators that are just very authentic and are very open about themselves um to the audience i think that's just like the there's an ownership um, or an onus on the content creator to to be authentic with the audience so frankly i don't think much of the betting space i think nowadays if you or betting content space, if you were to search like the biggest podcasts that are out there and give them a listen, there might be a, a section of the audience. And there's actually, it's not a section, it's a majority of the audience that might listen to something. And I won't I won't reference specific examples. And they might think that they're listening to something that um, is like reinventing the wheel or something that's extremely actionable. But then you get the sharper section of the the, the population. And I'll put myself in that group who listens to that and like, these people are just peddling garbage on the existing population. And it just keeps getting perpetuated more and more and more. uh, And that's inherently challenging with the space. Just a a quick, very quick background. I don't want to go too long on this about myself, but I did start in the content creation space as as a, a radio host, really a radio producer, then a radio host. I was one of the people that was probably a problem in the space. Where I was in my early 20s, I could not convince myself that I was a losing sports better, even though I was losing a ton of money, tried to pass myself off as an expert. And I went down that path and not really proud of those days, generally speaking, but there's kind of been an evolution now where I can I see the the issues that I faced when I was younger, and especially consuming other content when I was younger, that led me down a path of frankly just like years of losing money and you know not even disposable income dip, dipping into income that i shouldn't have uh to bet on sports and i basically want to produce content in a way that is real with people uh people need to understand the dangers of betting like just really leveling with people rather than trying to sell stuff that we're doing
0: yeah so how has your and i think you just touched on it there but your individual journey in the industry as a content creator as a better, how has it shaped what you
1: want to accomplish at the hammer? It, it, it's everything. Like it, it, you know, for me, I can describe when I, when I was in college, I would skip a lot of classes because I wasn't really interested in college, but I'd be betting in a computer lab at college nonstop. And I would be Googling all sorts of sports of sports betting stuff. Right. Um, and I would eventually find myself on at that time, like free pick sites, um, which are essentially just like tout sites where the tout will market themselves as a winner when they are not. And I myself at that age was not able to discern between what's real and what's phony. And that is basically how I see the entire space nowadays. Um, I famously did a video on Circles Off where I reacted to a podcast between uh, Ross Tucker and Simon Hunter. And it was a live reaction. It was the first time I'd heard it but it was my first exposure to like Simon Hunter content. And Simon Hunter is one of the largest content creators in the space for the Action Network now. Uh, the Favourite podcast with Chad Millman does tons of, of views and downloads regularly on a weekly basis. And I kind of you know gave my general thoughts on Simon Hunter and that podcast, which were not in a positive light, a very negative light, because I felt that he was passing himself off as something that he wasn't and using a lot of terminology that is um, – Not synonymous with what a professional better might use or how he would handicap games. And I still look at the comments on that video, which come in regularly because it still consistently does a couple hundred views every single week. It's the biggest uh, video we have in the history of Circles Off. And there are so many people that are in there that are defending Simon, which is completely within their right. Anyone can do that. But from my point of view, I'm looking at these comments and like a lot of people just don't get it. They're just consuming stuff. That is very much similar to what Simon is putting out there. And they've done that for years. And I did the exact same thing when I was in my early 20s. And you just develop this notion in your head of this is right, because everyone is doing this. You Google sports, sports betting terms on Google, and you're going to get a first page of stuff that's probably not necessarily even helpful or even correct. It's just stuff that's optimized for SEO purposes. And it's going to be fed to you by google because so many people are clicking those links and when you have a space where 95 percent of the stuff you're reading out there is misinformation it becomes inherently challenging to cipher through what's real and what's not and i struggled through that for so many years of my life and as much as like you know i'm not here to pat myself on the back or anything like that but one of my main goals with the hammer is to try to ensure that there are people that don't go down the same path. It's extremely challenging to break through in this space, but certainly, like my life experience, if I didn't have those experiences in the twenties, in my twenties, even earlier than that, there's no way I'm doing what I am today. Um, so, like, it's it's basically molded me as in terms of who I am as an individual nowadays.
0: So, increasingly, I would say, uh, mainstream sports coverage is incorporating betting analysis and then also just betting analysis on its own, you know, think of some, place like the action network is starting to become larger and more ingrained in just how people think about sports generally, like what do you see as the future
1: of sports betting media? I honestly, in the near term, I don't think anything's going to change, right? I, I think that you have this formula for what works now and content, not only in the sports betting space, but everywhere seems to be like a copycat type of game. This is working now. Let's do it. But this formula of what's being put out there now is people consume it. Everyone's trying to do the same. There's not a lot of room to innovate in the sports betting field as well. That makes it inherently challenging, like trying to come up with innovative ideas that make things work. um, Like It's just it's so much harder than I think in some other spaces, generally speaking. If there is going to be a shift at some point going forwards, I think it's going to be more towards personalization. This is not like a, a shift necessarily in the content that's created, but more so how it's served up to people. Obviously, YouTube does this already at a wide scale where you know each video you watch affects the recommendation engine. There's not a lot of companies out there including the big ones in the space like action network or whatever that are doing the same type of stuff where i think you're going to get served you know content that is more geared towards who you are as a person part of that is also going to be ai and the you know we we're seeing it nowadays kind of as a joke in the sports betting space where people are using uh, ai bots to to generate content for them and whatever but this is a very like realistic scenario that's coming down the pipeline in the near future i don't think the, the like the actual subject matter is going to change a whole lot, but certainly what you are served as a better and uh, who, who is serving you that I think will change in the next few years. All right.
0: So that, that was the, uh, the shop talk portion of, of the show. Uh, I want to look a little bit at 2023 and then we'll talk uh, a little bit about the Cowboys. So last year unders were, I believe 158, 125 and one, including the playoffs, the most profitable season of the past two decades for people who would just blindly bet Unders if if any such person actually exists. But this year, God. unders have done even better. Uh 56, 36, and one. Uh last week, unders were 12-2 and one counting Monday night football. Of course, you know, small sample, caveat, etc. Like weather has been a factor. Quarterback play. Quarterback injuries. Uh, a lot of reasons why this would maybe be the case. Uh, what's your takeaway on the slew of unders
1: we've seen so far? I think the so all those matter. We've had some bad weather games, we've had a lot of quarterback injuries. But for me, I think the biggest contributing factor is red zone efficiency this year and even last year where it went down a little bit. Uh, But it's twofold. It's not just red zone efficiency. It's also the fact that there are less explosive plays in the NFL. If you think of the offenses around the NFL and who's generating explosive plays, it's basically like Miami and San Francisco. And really, there's not a whole lot else at this point. Part of that is a dynamic shift in the way that teams play defense across the league. This was to combat Patrick Mahomes years ago and Josh Allen where teams are just getting consistently burned over the top. Now it's, all right, let's play a lot of too high, um, force teams with bad quarterbacks or mediocre quarterbacks to, to methodically work their way down the field. And when that happens, you get more red zone opportunities. And we just haven't seen a lot of success. I haven't been able to dig specifically into why we're not seeing success in the red zone. I have subjectively noticed a lot of run run pass in the red zone this year and that's like it might not exist but that's just from me watching games after the fact and getting you know pulling my hair out the little that i have left about why are these teams running the ball so much in the red zone but ultimately that's it the red zone efficiency through week six in the nfl is the lowest it's been in terms of scoring touchdowns since the year 2005 And whenever that happens and teams are kicking field goals or getting stopped on fourth down instead of scoring touchdowns, you're going to see scoring plummet. So that's what I see from my perspective right now as being the the most dynamic uh, or the largest culprit of why we're seeing lower scoring.
0: Do you think that this is something we can leverage moving forward? Like, should we expect unders to be the winning side in weeks 7 through 18? Should we expect an overcorrection within the market? Do you think it's going to balance out? How do you think this is something that is playable if it actually is playable?
1: Well, you should always expect like some sort of balance, right? So typically early on in the year, you might catch something that the market has not yet accounted for and you might be early to it. not in, you know, using baseball as an example, but oftentimes you might get a different ball in the first month of a season and no one really knows how to react to that ball and scoring might be way up or way down depending on that ball. And it takes a while for the market to catch up, but once it does, you know, everyone knows that that's the information that's available out there now. There's nothing now that's happening through six weeks of the NFL season. That's going to come as a surprise to anyone. Like we should all be able to account for this. Everyone who's betting into this market and it's extremely competitive on the NFL side of things can now account for everything we're seeing, right? Weather impacts, injuries, um, red zone efficiency, the way defenses are playing. So nothing should catch people off guard. I would say definitely don't just blindly bet unders going forwards because the market, even looking at the week seven numbers, is really starting to adjust these downwards as the year goes on. So expectation going forwards is from here on out it'll be closer to 50-50. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, if anything, maybe the market overcorrects slightly now that this is a big thing, but I, I would say close to 50-50, Matt. All right, the Cowboys. Uh,
0: you and I are both Cowboys fans. Um, we have both seen our team underwhelm, especially offensively in prime time over the past two weeks. Now, fortunately for us Cowboys fans, they actually did get the win last night, um, but at no point in that game, at least for me, did it actually feel like they were, you know, in control of the game. And it honestly, if, if they were playing any other team besides the chargers, right. Any other team, I like comparable, like at the chargers level, but not the chargers, it feels like a game. The Cowboys easily could have lost, uh, you know, just the chargers, they, they did what they do. So what are your thoughts or what were your thoughts on the Cowboys
1: entering the year? And what are they now? Uh, extremely high entering the year so uh, I don't say, just say this as a fan anyone who's consumed any content I've done before whenever I talk about the Dallas Cowboys I try to keep it as real as possible I'm probably more of an overly pessimistic person than optimistic but I was very optimistic about Dallas this year because I love the offseason season additions uh, Stefan Gilmore Brandon Cooks especially I bet them over on their season win total at nine and a half I bet them for some Super Bowl futures some NFC East futures as well so very high uh now it's changed a lot. Uh, Trayvon Diggs' injury is pretty big. Um, Deron Bland played well last night, but ultimately, anytime you lose a number one corner, who you know, people will say what they will about him being a boomer bust corner. He's actually kind of changed his style of play over the last year and a half or so. But that's massive. That's a massive blow um, in a you know very competitive environment across the NFC right now. Uh, furthermore. I think I've lost a little bit of faith in the coaching staff going into the year. I never really had a ton of faith into it in but like now it's it seems to be a real problem. It was very much highlighted in the San Francisco game a couple of weeks ago where Mike McCarthy just like looked really confused on the sidelines for large portions of that and I just as a Cowboys fan I was thinking is like McCarthy ever going to be able to outcoach Shanahan in a game if they get into the playoffs and You know, uh, is he going to be able to outcoach Nick Sirianni in a game if they get into the playoffs? And it just becomes, you know, I just come to the realization that the answer is likely no. The position Dallas is in right now, they're very likely going to have to go on the road at Philadelphia, at San Fran, at some point in the playoffs. What's the likelihood that they can win both of those games back-to-back? I'd say extremely small. So much more pessimistic now as I was going into the year. I still think they're a very good team, but can they win the Super Bowl? It's extremely unlikely. Yeah.
0: Entering the year, I was kind of of the opinion that in the NFC, there were sort of like three and a half teams kind of at the top that you had sort of San Francisco, the Eagles, the Cowboys, and then a half tier under them, you had the Lions. And now I'm kind of not really sure about that tier in general. You know, I think the Lions have played well. I'm not ready to say that they're. In that top tier. I'm also not ready to say that the Cowboys belong in that top tier. And then the strength of that top tier in general, you know, with the 49ers, I mean they've been great, but now they're dealing with some injuries with the Eagles five and one record. But I wouldn't say it's a fraudulent five and one, but it's not an emphatic five and one. Um, I'm just sort of uncertain about the top of the NFC in general. And I so this question, I know it's it's not in the outline, but you know, you mentioned Mike McCarthy, the concerns you have now, I mean, it's not like it's a, it's a surprise, right? like these were concerns entering the year. We just hoped that they would sort of be mitigated a little bit. And I don't think they have at all been mitigated. I think if anything, Mike McCarthy, it feels like he's been worse than even, um, maybe pessimistic Cowboys fans would have anticipated.
1: And it feels like there's a multi-layered
0: problem. Yeah. Continue. Yeah, uh,
1: I I thought that his remarks in the off season about you know the defense being tired at points last year and getting to running the ball more were kind of taken a little bit out of context. I, it's not exactly what he said. I just felt that they were going to play slower as an offense this year. Not necessarily that they were going to you know be running the ball a whole ton, but the running game hasn't worked, and it starts there. And clearly, I think McCarthy and Schottenheimer want the running game to work. It didn't work against the Chargers last night. Um, Tony Pollard can be dynamic. We saw it in the open field last night. Um, you know, he had like that, that 60 yard pass over the middle of the field turned into a massive gain, but ultimately it is very it does very much feel like old school football. And I, it's tough for an analytics guy to, you know, you just watch a team pass their way down the field. Then all of a sudden just waste downs running on first and second for, you know, one or two yards at a time. It's just really tough to get over that. This was the game plan that they put together. You know, McCarthy was working, as he said, 20 hours a week this week. Told the entire coaching staff, you guys are not going home this week to see your families. And this was the offensive game plan that they came out with against the Chargers defense that, frankly, has not been very good this year. So, lots of concern there. In hindsight, I should have been more pessimistic about the coaching staff. I should have. You know, it, 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 the signs were all there. Now we see if they're able to overcome that. But, but so far, there's nothing that I've seen so far this season that, that's going to indicate that we'll see anything different down the stretch.
0: So it feels like there's a, for, from my perspective, a multi-layered problem where, you know, there's the question of Dak Prescott is the quarterback. Is he the sort of talent elevator who can help your team get to a deep run in the playoffs, potentially a Super Bowl? On top of that, there's Mike McCarthy Is he the kind of coach who can elevate the talent, who can maximize the talent that he has above that? You know, there's the question of general manager and owner, Jerry Jones, right? Like, is he the kind of guy who actually has the right temperament to oversee a franchise that, you know, for the past 25 years feels like it has underperformed the overall talent that it has? Where Where do you see the ultimate problem lying? Like, it's easy to look at the quarterback and to say, if Dak plays well, the Cowboys win, you know, like that's, you know, that's maybe the most proximate way of looking at it, but there's Mike McCarthy, there's Jerry Jones. And, you know, maybe if they had a different general manager or a different owner, all of the things downstream
1: would kind of fix themselves. How do you look at all of that? So, I, I don't think at the ownership or, or general manager level, there's many problems. Like, I'm not a huge Jerry Jones fan. He'll say thing you know, two or three things a year that are absolutely crazy to the media, which is going to put the Cowboys under spotlight. But if you looked at the Cowboys on paper heading into the year, there was a legit argument to be made that they had the best roster top to bottom in the NFL. Like, they have assembled a roster that is chock full of talent. They addressed weaknesses in the offseason. At some point, It has to fall on the coaching staff and the players, in my opinion. Now, I had a very interesting debate. I was doing a live stream of the show, a live watch along of Cowboys and Chargers last night, and had Eric Eager from Sumer Sports on with me. And we were just talking about like the perception of quarterbacks and how they change depending on the system that they're running. Dak Prescott to me is fine. He's not the issue. If 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 you were to swap, and this is, you know, I think about this all the time. If you were to swap Dak Prescott with Tua Viloa right now, I'm not convinced the Miami Dolphins offense would drop off at all. I think so much of what Miami does is just scheming players open. They're built on a ton of speed. Like They've just figured that out as a coaching staff. The Cowboys coaching staff is unable to put Prescott in situations where he can succeed. They don't run much motion at the line of scrimmage. They run heavily on early downs. They play slow now this year. Like last year, at least with Kellen Moore, they occasionally would play fast and that worked to their advantage. You see tired defenses. The, the coaching staff to me is the fundamental problem with the Cowboys and specifically on the offensive side of the ball. I think Dan Quinn has done a pretty good job with that defense. Um, obviously the Cowboys defense has been exposed at times over the course of the past couple of years. You think of the San Fran game again a couple of weeks ago, but ultimately so much of it comes down to coaching and i'm i'm not convinced that dak is the problem can he win you the big game against a great against a great defense right now probably not but i don't think it's just on him i think it's so much of that has to do with the game plan going into the game so for me that's the fundamental issue with dallas i'm just not a believer in uh like they need a real offensive coordinator a real offensive guru or a head coach like a ben johnson for example that can come in there and like just is not a dinosaur, basically, like looks at the league like it's supposed to be in 2023.
0: All right. So there's this idea that the Cowboys, if things don't go well with Mike McCarthy this year, they could part with him and maybe they get themselves an upgrade at head coach. And you've mentioned that, you know, in, in your opinion, coaching is the problem. Uh, there is a coach in New England who uh, is increasingly on a hot seat. Do you feel if Bill Belichick were no longer the head coach, let's say it's the off season, no longer the head coach of the Patriots, he's a free agent and Jerry Jones somehow convinced him to become the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, just as he convinced Bill Parcells years before to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Do you feel that would be an upgrade? Like, how do you feel that would work?
1: I don't think so. Um, And this is not any disrespect to Belichick. Belichick changed the game. like He was the best coach in the league by miles for years. And obviously he was coupled with Tom Brady and that had some impact on things. I just think the game has passed Belichick by, honestly. And if we look at the offenses since Brady, I mean, that's what Dallas needs to figure out. They have all this talent on offense. They have good offensive linemen that for some reason or another, they can't pick up a yard when they need it. Wide receiving core, Okay, Michael Gallup, you know, he's never recovered from the ACL surgery and, you know, he's struggling to win uh, in man-to-man. But aside from that, they have weapons on the outside, CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Cooks. When they targeted them, last, targeted them last night, Dak was perfect. Didn't throw an incompletion to C.D. Lamb or Brandon Cooks. Get them the ball more. And, like, Belichick has not been able to figure that out. Whether it was him and Matt Patricia or now Bill O'Brien, that's been a fundamental challenge. I just think the game has passed Belichick by. I really think that he was at the top level for so long. And when you coach at the top level for so long and you're so accustomed to doing things that lead to victories, you just get ingrained in that. And I don't think that's ever going to change for him going forward. So that's not the ideal candidate for me. I'd be looking for more of an, a young up-and-comer um, that is more predicated on the offensive side of the ball.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And as wild as that might sound to say, like, I'm not sure Belichick coming in would be an upgrade on Mike McCarthy. Cause that like, that feels, um, it feels almost like sacrilegious, right. (laughs) Just to say something like that, but I, I think it's actually, it feels right. It actually feels right. And it also feels like the kind of hire that Jerry Jones would love to make because it's, it's a splashy hire and it's a, a, an NFL veteran coach who has won multiple Super Bowls right? Like he can, he can hang his hat on that and say like, Hey, I brought in a guy who's a proven winner.
1: It It is absolutely a Jerry Jones hire without a doubt. That's like, that's his MO, the flashy name, the big name. And this is not like, I, I don't want to disrespect Belichick. Like I think he's great. I, I overall has had the great career, but he's just not what the organization needs. He's not, um, he, you know, I think he's an upgrade on McCarthy. Do I want a slight upgrade on McCarthy or do I want the person that I think is absolutely right for the job? And to me, Belichick is is not going to serve that purpose for the Cowboys, um, especially when it would come in all likelihood with him having some sort of front office control and control over player personnel. I don't think Belichick's going to a spot nowadays where he doesn't have that. And he basically has sewered the Patriots through the draft and never been able to fix the receiving core He's just struggled all around. So not the guy that I would target if I was Jerry Jones. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of amazing. As you mentioned, you know,
0: Belichick has, has not been strong in evaluating talent through the draft, uh, especially recently. Um, and that does feel like the one area where Jerry Jones as a general manager has actually done really well. Like the Cowboys have done, I think a great job of navigating the draft for the past, you know, five to eight years. Um, it's just that they haven't been able to maximize the talent that they bring in. Uh, and so it feels like if they actually did bring in Belichick, that would maybe take away from the one area of strength that, that Jerry Jones, uh, and his staff has actually had, uh, in the front office. All right. A final question here on the Cowboys, uh, let's say kind of hypothetical someone in the Cowboys organization watches forward progress (laughs) at the hammer. And they see you go on a rant about the Cowboys and they say like, hey, what he says actually makes a lot of sense to me. I'm going to show this to Stephen Jones. And then Stephen Jones watches it and is impressed and he shows it to his dad, Jerry. Uh, And then they contact you. They set up a call uh, and they want you to tell them what you think they should do with the organization, the changes that they should make recommendations, nothing too big or too small. What are you telling them?
1: Yeah, so I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be realistic here because you know I, I I'm rooted in reality in some capacity or, or another. They're not gonna fire Mike McCarthy midseason, regardless of who anyone tells them what anyone tells them at this point. He's just kind of entrenched there. At the very least, what they need to do is put someone on the sideline with McCarthy and basically remove any in-game control from him in terms of timeouts. Basically, any in-game decision-making, challenges, whatever it may be, that has to go to someone else. Because he is for his entire career, he's been a disaster in two-minute situations. We saw it last night where he didn't realize Michael Gallup went out of bounds and the clock was still running. The Cowboys have to settle for a field goal at the end of the first half instead of having even any shot at, at going into the end zone in that There's just too many game management mistakes that are costing the Cowboys probability on a weekly basis. If the Cowboys don't get over the hump this year, they don't at least win a couple playoff games, make a present, make their presence felt in the playoffs. You have to, you have to remove Mike McCarthy and you have to end this experiment with Schottenheimer as, as your OC, and you have to bring in some people who are more modern, plain, plain and simple people who can run motion on offense and understand how a modern day NFL uh, offense works. That's the recommendation for me. It starts at a coaching level, but you need people that are way more savvy with in-game decision-making that are not hurting, hurting you on a weekly basis. And then, you let, sure, you let the coaching staff finish off the year with what they've tried to build. And after that, I mean, Ben Johnson is the guy for me, honestly. I look at what the Lions have done. Remember when the Lions hired Dan Campbell he had this this press conference, and people thought this guy was a complete idiot. You know, we're going to bite, be biting ankles and this and that. And, and the Lions fans, my friend Joey Kanish, he's posting videos on YouTube of like, oh, what a disaster. This is the guy we picked of everyone we could. I'm not convinced Dan Campbell is the guy necessarily running the show there. I'm not saying he's a bad coach by any stretch of the imagination. But look at what this offense has done with Jared Goff, by the way, and how they've been able to maintain basically like a top five EPA and success rate ever since he's been running the show there. That's the guy I would go after, run a modern day offense with real, like, it's not like the Cowboys don't have weapons. They have, they have an O-line, they have a, whatever you think of Dak, you're definitely not saying he's a below average quarterback. At worst, you're going to call him average. And in all likelihood, if you went through the quarterbacks in the league, you'd probably put him in the top 10 in the league. This is for like a, a casual non-Cowboys fan. Receiving core, you have CD Lamb. You have Brandon Cooks. Like you have Tony Pollard, dynamic weapon in the backfield. This offense cannot be puttering and scoring 17 points a game against the the you know 20 points against the Chargers defense. Can't even move the ball against the four. This cannot happen with the quality. Find yourself an offensive minded head coach.
0: Yeah I yeah in the offseason I wrote a team preview series for all 32 teams, and uh, you know the the Cowboys one I wrote. If I, I talk a lot about Jerry Jones as an owner and general manager, a lot about Mike McCarthy, and you know even then I said that uh, you know even though the Cowboys have won 12 games in consecutive seasons, which is you know like a, a quite a feat really in in the modern NFL with all the parody, Mike McCarthy entered the season on a really hot seat that would be cooled only if the Cowboys got the number one seed uh, or won 13 games or made it to the NFC championship. And I am just not uh, at all optimistic that we will see that happen this year. So I, I think in the offseason, a pretty good chance the Cowboys will be in the market for a new head coach. All right. Transitioning out of the Cowboys talk. Uh, I want to get a little bit nerdy here and ask you about modeling, Rob, because, uh, you know, there are a lot of good sports betters who build models and then leverage them in the market. Uh, other sports betters aren't really into modeling. They kind of will, they'll use numbers to inform their process, but they'll look kind of more at the matchups. Uh, I believe that you are into modeling and I think you have a more of a player focused or kind of like bottom up model versus a a team-focused or top-down model. So let's say someone with uh, numerical competency came to you and said, Rob, can you give me a little bit of advice about how to get started on building my own sports betting model? What would you tell them?
1: Okay, so first and foremost, I'm very rooted in reality. Sports betting is a competitive market. So if you're going to build a model, you do it right or you don't do it. Because at the end of the day, you're betting... With a sports book, you're going to place your bet at whatever sports book you're betting at, but those sports books are setting their lines based off of other bets that other people are placing. So you are technically competing against other sports betters. So if you're going to put together something that's very rudimentary, um, you just basically don't have a chance to succeed in the first place. So why even waste your time? So that's the first thing I'm going to tell someone. Second thing is you have to have some sort of knowledge in stats. It doesn't have to be like you got a stats PhD or anything like that, but you either need to take some sort of stats 101 course, whether that's online, whatever. You need some basic statistical foundation. If you don't know how to use Excel or you don't know how to code or you're not good with numbers or logic or anything like that, then you either have to acquire those skills or don't start in the first place. So first and foremost, before you even get into it, Try to figure out whether or not it is the right thing for you to do, because for a lot of people, they're just going to be spinning wheels and there's just no point. Once you get to that, then you basically want to like figure out a good backtesting framework. And what I mean by this is too many people create models and they have no idea whether this model is going to be successful over time or not. It's like, hey, here's a bunch of stats. I'll work with them. I'll figure it out. I'll think what I'm doing. But then they're just flying blind for years and they're betting stuff that they have no idea whether it has a previous track record of success. So a testing framework requires you to be able to test your model against, against previous years' data. If this was my model in the 2021 or 22 NFL season and I ran it for every game, would I perform better than the opening line? Would I perform better than the closing line? Would I perform better than whatever time you're betting at? Maybe Monday nights at, at 8 p.m. Eastern, just random thought out there. So backtesting framework is hugely important. And the reason why is modeling is not um, the way I model a game is going to be very different from the way someone else does. It, it, it's There's nothing that that stipulates everyone has to do things the same way. There's all sorts of types of models. Some people run linear regression models. Um, I use Monte Carlo simulations for NFL. There's so many different things that you can do, but ultimately the one thing that you need to be able to do one way or another is as you make changes to your model, you have to be able to test whether or not that improved the error metrics of your model in the past and potentially your ROI. Betting as well. So those are the main things that I would definitely want to hit on, Matt, is like make sure it's right for you. Don't worry about getting into it because everybody is doing it, because it might just be a colossal waste of time. And number two, understand stats in some way. If if you don't understand what a linear regression model is or a Monte Carlo simulation or whatever you want to run, then there's no point in even venturing down this. So you need some basic knowledge. And the third thing is as you iterate through your model you want to be able to test your changes. So backtesting is extremely important as well.
0: So with the, the backtesting, this is, uh, I don't know, maybe again, getting too inside, uh, you know, the nerddom, but, uh, would you be interested more in backtesting versus the market? Let's say like the closing line or backtesting versus what
1: actually happened in the games? Uh so there's there's a number of things that I look for. So you want to track some sort of error metric whether that's log loss or um RMSE, whatever error error metric you want to use, but essentially just basically how do my projections hold up against the market's projections uh overall. So that's one. The second thing is definitely the time that you're betting, what your success would be at over that period of time. Um and your closing line value as well. So, like, does the does your model's outputs typically mirror the way that the the market moves over time? There's a lot that goes into it. Obviously, like you have to strip out games where there's quarterback injuries or or information that became known midweek that you might not have known earlier in the week and stuff like that. But to answer it, all of that is important in one way or another. Um, each you know each different result tells you a little bit of a different story. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, for me, I, tr- I try to track as much as humanly possible and then dissect it afterwards. I think it's way better to, to measure yourself against everything rather than too little.
0: All right. Uh, one final question here with the models, you know, weighting uh, I think is really important, uh, and so sort of balancing different factors within the model. And so, you know, weighting uh, past production versus the production from this year waiting offense versus defense waiting players on the same side of the ball like different units so like cornerbacks versus edge rushers everything like that um you know there's no like magic bullet but how do you approach the
1: idea of waiting in general uh this is an incredibly challenging uh question to answer so it really depends on a variety of factors so when we talk about this year versus last year Um, typically you're going to work off of a prior going into the year, what you think a team is. And then as you get through the season, you're slowly going to start waning off of that prior. So with each passing game, the current season becomes more and more important until you reach a point in the season where you're just using this year's data, Uh, for a lot of people, actually, some people might still use priors even up until the end of the year, but ultimately I have figured out Well, my weighting is going to be on that through backtesting the nfl um so i i i basically um have used previous tests to determine how quickly i'm going to move off of last season or or even sometimes two years ago's uh data so from that point of view that's how i do that from this year to last in terms of players that's incredibly challenging Um, I think it's a lot easier with like skill position players, wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, you have tons of data you can work with. I think it's very easy to put a value on that type of player where you get into issues is where you get into like offensive line performance, uh, potentially secondary performance, where you just don't have a lot of metrics or data that are consistently used across sites. Uh, That is much more challenging To to figure out how your weighting is going to work for a game. Now, I said that going back, I run Monte Carlo simulations on games. Basically, what I do is I pit one team against another as if they're playing, and I simulate that over and over and over, basically like what you would do if you were playing Madden and you put two teams against one another. Uh, And that's the way that I found success in the NFL. Other people will use like some sort of linear regression model where they might just figure out a team's rating, as an example, based off of. Uh, combination of parts. So maybe the quarterback is worth X percent, 30% of a team's rating, higher, or lower, or whatever. Offensive line is worth this. Defensive line is worth that. Ultimately, it really comes down to taking all of this data, figuring out some sort of logical plan of how you want to implement this and how you want to build out a model, and then using testing to determine your weighting and how close you can get to you know, previous market closing prices, um, better log loss or whatever you wanna do. So it's a challenging question to answer. I hope I've done a decent enough job of it, but it's not apples to apples depending on the model that you're running. And um, for each person, it's gonna be very different. I just feel that, again, building a good testing framework will be extremely important in helping you. All
0: right, so we are through a third of the season now, uh, you know, through week six, 18 weeks. So, you know, not totally cleanly a third, cause some teams have had buys, but basically we're through a third of the season. And so it does feel like it's that point in the year where you can pretty cleanly move off of a lot of the priors that we've had to this point and, uh, work on the, the six weeks worth of data that we have. Uh, and so the question within what we have seen so far, who are the teams that you have adjusted the most? And we'll say, like, since the season started positively and negatively, who have you adjusted the most? Uh, Or, you know, which teams have you moved off of the most based on your prior assumptions?
1: So positively would be uh, the 49ers, the Dolphins, and the Texans are the three teams that have moved the most since the beginning of the season. Uh, In the case of the 49ers, I had them as being somewhat of a good team, roughly like three to three and a half points above league average. And now I have them as an elite team, um, even after the loss last week, where a lot of bad things happened, injuries, bad weather game, so on and so forth. Miami, I think the offense is just not what I, like offense is off the level. It's all time good right now in terms of their performance. That's been a huge positive adjustment for me and Houston. um, I inherently have challenges with valuing rookie quarterbacks. I had no idea what C.J. Stroud is going to be. I don't watch a ton of college football. Everyone has their own opinions on on what these guys are going to be. Historically speaking, I rank my quarterbacks going into the year based off of their draft position. And I'm very quick to move off priors with quarterbacks. But C.J. Stroud has played really well uh, behind an offensive line that has been you know, decimated by injuries this year. So those are the three that I've seen move up positively. On the negative side of things, it's the New York Giants. Most of that is just due to injuries, also poor, poor performance, but poor performance stemming from injuries. The Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers. So, those, um, I don't think those ones will, I don't think any of these will be a surprise to anyone just based off the performance this year.
0: Yeah. What about last week? Uh, and by the way, I also say uh, I agree with a, a lot of that list. Uh, I, you know, I'm looking at where I have moved up and down on teams and. Those are the ones that stand out quite a bit. I will also add the Rams as a team that I've moved up uh, a decent amount since the season started. Uh, what about since last week? Uh, you know, obviously it's only one week and there were weather issues in a number of the games. So maybe one week isn't going to be weighted all that much. But was there anything that caught your eye last week that made you say, okay, I'm moving this team up a decent amount or this team down a decent amount?
1: Yeah, so San Fran gets moved down a decent amount off of last week. And it's not necessarily just the poor performance, which it was. It was an awful performance. Brock Purdy was extremely inaccurate for the first time this year, which he's been inaccurate in a lot lot of games this year. But for the first time this year, it really cost their team. But it's the injuries that stemmed from that game with Christian McCaffrey, oblique injury. I have him worth like roughly 0.7 points on an average to like an average spread. Debo Samuel, Trent Williams with now an injury where he came back into the game, but something that might hamper him for the remainder of the season. So it's not just the performance from San Fran against Cleveland. It's how they came out of that game um, in terms of like their forward-looking impact. So that's the team that I've downgraded the most in a one-week span. The upgrade will actually be, be incredibly surprising to a lot of people because they ended up losing the game. But the Seattle Seahawks got the biggest upgrade in my model from a week-to-week basis. Uh, I think that was an incredibly misleading scoreline against the Cincinnati Bengals last week. Uh, Take a step out, look at what happened in that game. Seahawks had five red zone trips. They only scored one touchdown. They went 0-2 on fourth downs. But if you look at all the peripheral metrics, whether that was their EPA success rate, series conversion rate, Yards per play, 5.4-4 to last week over the Cincinnati Bengals. They held the Bengals' offense to 214 total yards at home as well. Uh, Seattle came out on the wrong end of that game, uh, probably deserved to win that game 80% of the time or more. So they ended up getting a substantial upgrade despite the loss. My bad. Okay. My bad. Sorry. Do we need to, what do we do? Okay. Got it. My bad.
0: Three, two, one. Yeah. Great call out there. Especially the Seahawks who, as you mentioned, even though they lost, um, they actually ended up playing early well in that game, especially defensively, where in the second half, absolutely shut down the Bengals. A couple of teams I will add to the list here. The Bills uh, got significantly downgraded for me based on what we saw or didn't see out of them on Sunday night football. And then the Jets, I mean, I don't know how much I want to significantly upgrade them, but uh, I was impressed with what we saw out of them. Not so much because like, Zach Wilson is emerging or anything like that. Although I would say like it's a, it's a significant step in the right direction when he's not making back breaking mistakes. Um, But the defense to be able to play the way that they did without their top perimeter cornerbacks was really impressive. So, you know, and part of this is maybe that I over adjusted them down so much after the loss of Aaron Rodgers that I'm moving them back to where they should be
1: but i was impressed with what i saw out of them last week the issue with the jets for me is they they won the turnover margin by four against the eagles i don't actually have my numbers up in front of me here but i believe that i they they outperformed their turnover expectation in that game uh by like two and a half turnovers roughly that there was like a pure fluke turnover uh where there was like a fumble that the ball got lodged into the air that turned into an interception It's not that I'm necessary, the the Jets do get a small upgrade in my model, but I think a lot of the contributing factor to their performance last week was their ability to generate turnovers, and you can't really be reliant on that on a weekly basis. Offensively, they still had a 40% success rate, 4.1 yards per play. I still think offense is going to be a major issue for them going forwards, two for 11 on third down. So aside from the turnovers, there's just not much that I really like from them on the box score. Although you make a, you know, you bring up a good point. The defense held up with some pretty significant, uh, substantial injuries in the cornerback group. So, um, yeah, I'm not quite there with New York, but I can see the reasons.
0: All right. Week seven. Uh, you're on the forward progress pod each week on Wednesday with, uh, Fabian Silmer, uh, who is a guest of the show a couple of weeks, by the way. Um, Uh, Eric eager of sumer. Uh, and I feel like, uh, suma and sumer need to have some sort of battle to see who gets to keep the name. Uh, and then Hitman is also on that show. Uh, a great show each week. People should check it out. You guys go over the games where you have the the strongest betting opinion collectively, and you guys also give out best bets. So people should check that out. Can you give us in advance, uh, now one bet or game that maybe you haven't made, but that has your attention so far for week seven.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'll just make it clear. I haven't made a single bet yet, but I'm more than happy to actually talk about one game that I'm eyeing this week. Um, I'm very interested in betting the Eagles this week on Sunday Night Football at home to the Dolphins. The only reason we haven't moved on it yet is the Eagles injury report. Uh, in particular, though, it seems like the injury to right tackle Lane Johnson is not actually going to be that serious. It's a low ankle sprain. There's actually a decent possibility that he ends up playing this week. Um with that low ankle sprain, which would be nice for them because I think that they can just bully the Miami Dolphins at the line of scrimmage. Miami is a great offensive team. We've seen every time they've, you know, they've played a bad defense, they've basically shredded them. The one time they stood, you know, took a step up in class against a team that has a decent pass rush this year, that was Buffalo, who leads the league in pressure rate. And Miami's offense just didn't look like what it was. The beautiful thing about the Eagles is that they can generate pressure When they rush four, they have the fourth highest pressure rate in the entire league at 29.1%. They blitz just 25% of the time. So they're getting home without having to blitz a whole lot. I think that's a recipe for disaster for Miami. And I just do not trust the Dolphins' defense to get stops against a high caliber offense. Last thing I'll say in regards to this game the Eagles' red zone woes are highly documented so far this year. There's definitely a new learning curve under. New offensive coordinator Brian Johnson, with uh, Shane Steichen being gone there now, and there will be some time to react. Specifically, what I can point to with the Eagles in the uh, in the red zone is that they're not targeting wide receivers nearly as much as they did last year, which would make common sense when you have AJ Brown and Devonte Smith. But it has been a more heavily running ed, uh, red zone uh, offense this year. Over time, that's going to regress to 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 the mean. The, the Eagles are not going to end with a bottom five red zone offense by the end of the season. It's just not going to happen. There's too much talent. So we can talk about the struggles offensively, how bad they've looked. But I think there's a lot of signs within that team that point to some positive regression. And this could be the defense where it happens. So I'm I'm very closely eyeing the Eagles. I'm just hoping we don't get cluster injuries in the secondary. Obviously, Darius, Darius Slay missed last week's game. Uh, Bradley Roby's banged up. Reed Blankenship's back b- banged up. Avante Maddox is on IR, so I want to monitor that a little bit closely. But in all likelihood, I'm ending up on the Eagles on Sunday Night Football.
0: All right, so uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that you mentioned that game because I, you know, I'm looking at my numbers and right now they're showing value on the Dolphins, but that's baking in a lot of injury assumptions about the Eagles, and if those assumptions are wrong. Uh, then I would maybe be on the other side of it. So I, I haven't bet that game yet either. Uh, in part because of of the injury issues that you mentioned and all the uncertainty there, I do want to ask you about the total in that game. You know, because my my Neanderthal brain just sort of shooting from the hip looks at that and says over. You know, I'm just I'm I'm taking the over in a season of unders. You know, this is an over spot where you know the Dolphins. It feels like they can score at will. And their defense is bad enough to allow, it feels like almost anyone to be able to put up points against them. And then I think the Eagles like, Hey, this is a spot where they can bounce back. But you look at the total and the movement we've seen in the market and the look ahead. And, you know, granted there's, (laughs) there's not much of a a liquid market there for the look ahead, but it's still a number. Uh, The look ahead was 53 and a half. This opened at 52 and a half. And, you know, it's 52 at some books now. It's 51 and a half at some other books. So this number has kind of moved down a little bit. uh, And I haven't bet it yet because I kind of wanted to see the direction the market would go. But my projection does point to the over here.
1: What are your thoughts on the total? So I'm pretty on market with my number right now. Um, I will say, so the average um, NFL score this year has been 43.4 points, uh, which is down from last year. Last year ended up being, I believe, 43.6. So we're a little bit lower than last year, and we haven't really gotten into the winter yet with the, the cold weather game. So this is more than a full touchdown above a league average output this year, which is fairly high. It's not like we were accustomed to COVID year, where we would see totals like 55, 56, even up to 57. And that was just that just happened because there was no crowd noise. Offenses were moving the ball. I think with the dynamic shift this year in the NFL to preventing big plays, I'm fine with the number. Subjectively, I totally agree with you, Matt. Like, I I, I struggle to see many stops in this game or think of stops happening at any rate. But all it really takes is like one long, drawn-out drive of eight or nine minutes, which either of these teams can do, especially the Eagles, uh, that settles in a field goal or a stop on fourth down, and the totals basically cooked at this point. So um, subjectively agree. Numerically, I'm pretty much on point. Um, but, I mean, you, you, you couldn't pay me to bet, bet the under in this game this week.
0: All right, Rob, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, give us the quick plug for the hammer, everything you guys got going on there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So anyone wants to check out everything that we do, you can just head over to our website, thehammer.bet. It shows all of our content creators, all the shows that we have going on regularly. Alternatively, this, we talked NFL here. Um, you can just go over to our Forward Progress YouTube channel, which is our NFL division of the Hammer Betting Network. If you want regular NFL content, we put that up Monday through fi- Friday over the course of the week. I do a couple of shows on Sunday as well, but we cover all the major sports. And if you are on our Forward Progress YouTube channel, you can just click that channels button and it'll show all the other channels, YouTube channels that are part of the Hammer Betting Network, uh, which we produce content on regularly. So just check it out. If you're into sports betting, uh, we do have some pretty sharp handicappers and content creators. And again, just going back to what we talked about right at the beginning. We're not here to sell you anything. We just got guys talking sports and being real. When we lose, we talk about the losses. When we win, we talk about the wins. Uh, but ultimately, the goal is to try to get you into a better process uh, on a weekly basis and hopefully find you some winners in the process as well. Although I'll never guarantee that that can happen.
0: All right, Rob, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. That is going to do it for this episode of the Betting Life Podcast brought to you by Fantasy Life. Please subscribe to the show. Tell your degenerate betting friends. Join the Discord and see all of our bets in the free Fantasy Life Bet Tracker and follow us on social media at Rob Pozzola and Matt F. The Oracle. Thank you and see you again next episode.